Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Milwaukee, start your engines. It's a new season. It's a new show. This is the Final Inspection Show with Steve Zaki. Presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove. Driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. Now, Final Inspection on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Here's Steve Zaki. Yeah, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin. Along with your friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. They can be found on the web at milwcar.com. Should be a fun uh, fun weekend uh, at uh, Great Lakes Dragway. All sorts of racing all throughout the weekend. Uh, fun racing. Uh, and, and today, Matt Barlow, they're going to have a special meet they're having the grass snowmobiles racing. Really? Yeah. That works? Uh, it works. It's a lot of fun, and there's a lot of sod flying, to say the least. Yeah. So needless to say, it, it's a lot of fun. Get out there. Uh, $35 for racers, spectators, $15. Kids, 10 to 15 $8. And, of course, kids 9 and under are always free at Great Lakes Dragway. And don't forget, you can still get your season passes are now available for the 2017 season. Make sure to look them up on the web at greatlakesdragway.com. And uh, joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline, of course, is Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Welcome to the show, Eddie. Hey, guys. Hey, Z-Man. How are you doing? Pretty good, sir. Uh, we're going to try and get uh, David Hobbs on the show. Uh, he, of course, is in Chicago for Carl Haas Memorial, and it's not. he's going to try and give us a call when he gets a moment free. So needless to say, we're kind of working around his schedule. It's not the situation we want to put David where he's talking to some people and say, hey, I got to call the, these goofs in Milwaukee on this radio show. So we certainly appreciate David uh, doing his best to give us a call. But we worked in some flexibility in the schedule, and we appreciate you coming on the show and uh, talking a little bit of uh, uh, potpourri of uh, racing subjects. Uh, first thing I want to talk about, of course, is uh, IndyCar, uh, silly season. And one of the... One of the dominoes fell this week. It's kind of surprising, and uh, because it kind of opens up, uh, leads to other things, and that's Juan uh, Juan Pablo Montoya has decided to stay with Penske next year. He's only going to run one race for Team Penske. That, of course, is the Indianapolis 500. As I said, when uh, Roger Penske hired Juan Montoya, it was to win the Indianapolis 500, which he did a couple years ago. And he'll have that opportunity to try and do that again in May next year, but that kind of leads to speculation. And this is we we've talked about this on the show before of uh, Team Penske and their sports car program, which uh, we we speculated that should something's probably going to happen in the 2018 season. Eddie, what can you tell us about that? 
Well, I I definitely think uh, it, every, all the groundwork is being laid out right now for them to have that program put together to be on the track at the 24 hours of Daytona. In um, 2018. 2018, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that's right. And it <laughs> but, looks like Juan Pablo, Juan Pablo Montoya would be lead driver. And then there's some speculation that possibly an, another, drive, another driver might be involved in that. Well, Helio Castro Neves. I yeah. mean, it, it would be a great, uh, you know, I mean, he he did win the last race for Roger at Petit Le Mans in the uh, Porsche Spider. So um, I think he wants to continue his career uh, down that road. And I, I definitely think that, uh, you know, it would be good for everyone to bring them to the sports car world. And, and that would be with Porsche. I think you, you did say that, correct? Well, that was with Porsche last time when he was with the Spider. Right. But now, I mean, the DPI, there's so many different uh, combinations right now. I mean, I hear Hondas definitely in the mix and Bentley. Um, there's just nothing confirmed right now. They're basically, you know, just doing all the planning and, and, and getting the structure ready for the team for them to compete. Because most people have, have kind of speculated that it would be with Porsche because they've had such a strong relationship uh, over the years dating back to the 70s with uh, their, their Can-Am program that they had and then the LMP2 program that you uh, mentioned just before. And Penske's always had a very comfortable relationship with uh, the guys in Germany, and it's always been an amicable situation throughout. Well, and I think it would be good for the sport, and I think it you know, I mean, it definitely be good for the U.S., you know, with Porsche and Penske back together. But, uh, you know, with Porsche's involvement in the World Endurance Championship right now, um, I think that's their main objective right, right. now. Um, but, you know, it, things change well, quickly, as you well know in racing. Honda Honda is a uh, interesting dynamic because Gilles DeFerrin, of course, ran their program the last time they were in sports car racing. And Jill DeFerrin still has a very close relationship with Penske. Uh, he retired and he's done projects uh, with, with Penske throughout the years. And that that, that seems to be if uh, Honda, if they would do something with Honda, it wouldn't surprise me if Jill DeFerrin was somehow involved in on the management side. Oh, I mean, definitely. I mean, his long ten, tenure with, with Honda is definitely – something you know that and and with roger you know it, it definitely would be great uh you know with honda it just depends when they make the commitment i mean everybody's like well penske isn't gonna go with honda because he runs chevrolet mm -hmm. but you know the fact of the matter is um anything's possible and it, Pen a porsche could change next year yeah. Their direction. I mean, with everything that's happening with them right now, with the Volkswagen, uh, the TDI and the lawsuit and paying that that out to the U.S. government uh, two weeks ago, um, you know, it's affected the Audi program. And, and now those drivers are going to be looking for jobs next year. So, well, and, 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 and you, you, you mentioned Volkswagen. That's an interesting uh was that kind of unexpected with them uh, leaving GRC? No, no. I mean, I think, I think they're just going to start downsizing. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, in and and just direct their uh, put 
put more eggs in one basket versus, you know, spreading it out and all. They want to concentrate on, you know, I mean, like with the Volkswagen group, they want Porsche not to compete against Audi, and they want everyone to work together as a team. And that's what you're going to see. They're just going to put their direction towards things. And, and right now Volkswagen is really big into the electric car and, you know, formula E with Audi and, and that's the, that's the direction they're taking right now. Yeah. And, and getting back with, uh, uh, IndyCar, uh, the other domino that fell was, uh, with uh, Ed Carpenter Racing hiring J.R. Hildebrand as the driver of the 21, replacing Joseph Newgarden. Um, I personally, I'm a little bit surprised by it, but when you look into it, uh, they did keep their promise of uh, keeping an American driver in it. And uh, maybe I'm, you know, this is this is interesting because there's I think there's two camps when it comes to J.R. Hildebrand. And, uh, of course, J.R. Hildebrand is most known for the 2011 Indianapolis 500 when he was within one turn of winning the race when, unfortunately, just a bad, bad situation for him. You know, I mean, uh, he was coming up on a lap car that was very, very slow, uh, Charlie Kimball, and probably should have been on the warm-up lane he was going that slow. I think he was going about 175 miles an hour, and you had these guys motoring through at about 220 and and it's just a bad situation where late in the race with with the track conditions the way they were in the marbles the car pushed up into the wall and and uh, Weldon Dan Weldon of course went on to win the race and uh, Hildebrand with minus I think two wheels came across the finish line to finish uh, second but and it just seemed like his you know he, the team rallied around him but he he just seemed to lose his mojo after that. And here we are now five, five, six years later, and he's back full time. It should be interesting to see what happens with, uh, J.R. Hildebrand in that 21 car, Eddie, what, 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 well, what, what are we I, looking for him uh, next year? I, I totally, you know, when someone makes a mistake as big as the Indianapolis 500, um, that always, that badging always goes with them. And unfortunately, you know, it did affect his career, and it did shorten it. And, you know, it's nice to see him. He's really a great personality. I mean, he's great with the sponsors. He's got engineering background. Um, he actually, you know, I mean, he won the Indy Lights Championship in 2009 and beat Hinchcliffe for the championship that year. Um, he's got a lot of talent, and, and that's the problem with any type of racing, um, you have to control your. Well, yeah, uh, you got to control your emotions and you got to kind of rally past. I think he's far enough past that where I think it's out of his mind, but the really, I mean, is this a situation where he, the only way he's going to be able to redeem himself is, is to win the 500, isn't it? Well, I think when you get that close to winning the 500, I, I I think it's really hard to think that, you know, he could win it again. I mean, anything's possible. Well, this is but... a good car. I mean, this is a car that finished. I mean, it was the top non-Penske car to finish. I mean, you know, so, I mean, you know, oh, it's no. a it's and a winning with, car. It's a car Ed, that won races with, last year. Oh, exactly. And with Ed Carpenter, 
um, who's very good on ovals. And, you know, I mean, with those two working together, right. you know, I mean, it, it, it's going to be the whole package. It's going to be him, how it goes in the test how he works with his engineers to be able to make the changes he needs to make. Um, and if they gel together, you know, they could win. I mean, it is a good car. Um, yeah. it, it's just going to be how they can work together. And, uh, you know, I, it would be great to see that Ed Carpenter, great guy, um, you know, and great team. Yeah. So I, I tell you what, let, let, let's take a sports break and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about Indy cars. Uh, you're you're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by Legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. They can be found on the web at milwcar.com. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the Legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association on 105.7 FM, The Fan. Yeah, welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association. On the web at milwcar.com. And joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline is Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com. Thanks for coming back on, Eddie. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. I, I, I did want to throw this uh, – I'm throwing you a curveball here because we didn't talk about this. Uh, okay. Of course, uh, Mr. Hobbs is at the Carl Haas Memorial, and uh, Carl Haas is one of those iconic guys in, in motorsports. Uh, ben, he was the Lola importer for Lola cars in the 60s, and that was a sports racer in the early 60s racing at uh, Meadowdale and, and Road America in, a, in the Midwest and then became a car owner and, of course uh, – very successful in uh, Formula 5000 and then eventually uh, made the jump to IndyCar and cart uh, in 1983 with uh, legendary actor and racing guy Paul Newman. And uh, did have you seen the Paul Newman documentary that Adam Carolla did? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And, and I thought he was very good on there. They, they, they did talk about Carl Haas and it's pretty interesting. If you get a chance and you haven't seen it, it should be available like a Netflix or Amazon Prime. If you get a chance, you're, it, it, it's a very interesting uh, documentary that they did on him. Um, and it just, uh, Nate Adams is a guy that, that helped grow out, and I thought they did a very good job on that. And in how I, it was interesting with uh, Carl Haas and Paul Newman, how direct opposites they were. And, and, and Newman was not interested in doing it until Haas said, well, what if I had, can get Mario Andretti as a driver? And that kind of locked in uh, Paul Newman into doing the, the uh, team with uh, Carl Haas. And so you got Carl oh, Haas. You're, you're totally right. Yeah. I mean, until Mario was brought in the picture. I mean, you're right. They were two opposites. And Carl Haas, if you do get a chance, you need to watch that. And Gordon Kirby's uh, book's going to come out uh, about Newman Haas racing and the history of him. And I'm telling you, Carl was just an interesting guy. He was. From blessing the car Mm -hmm. to the the cigar, everyone knows him for that. And he, he just was an incredible person. 
and Mario Andretti and him and Paul Newman, they came together and created that team that had such a success uh, in motor racing. And uh, we look back, and it's sad. I, I just was with Brian Redman in Vero Beach on Thursday, and he was heading to the memorial for Carl today. Mm-hmm. Um, and Brian, you know, was one of Carl's first drivers, Formula 5000 um, days. And uh, he really had some fond memories and of Carl and, and driving for him. So... Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, yeah, certainly will be missed. And uh, like I said, if you get a chance to see that documentary, it is a very interesting. And uh, as I used to say on Saturday mornings, hey, if you're not careful, you might learn a thing or two. Uh, getting back to the IndyCar series, uh, real quick, uh, we still have a couple open seats here. We have uh, t- the the two that are out there that are pretty interesting. Is the uh, the two seats at AJ Foyt Racing? Because it looks like. Uh, the, Sato looks like is going to be driving the 26 car for Andretti Autosport. And it's now leaning with all the dominoes that have fallen since then. And most likely it's probably going to be Carlos Munoz in the, either the 14 or the 41 car. And then hopefully an American in the, uh, in the other car, whether it's Connor Daly or somebody. And then, um, uh, Mikhail Loshin, the mad Russian, of course, in the seven car, that's not confirmed yet. We thought it was confirmed with Schmidt Peterson motorsports, but not yet. So, It'll be inter- interesting to see, Eddie, what, what happens. And some of the drivers that are out there, like uh, R.C. Enerson, is a, is an interesting uh, uh, story out there. And Spencer Piggott, too, is another one that you could find yeah. his way out there. So there's, there's a lot of good drivers looking for rides. And, you know, unfortunately, it, it's come to how much money you can bring um, mm-hmm. to get those seats sometimes. Talent only takes you so far. Um, I, I'd love to see Connor Daly, you know, get a ride. I mean, he, he was very impressive last you bet. year mm-hmm. and so was Spencer Pickett. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I mean the list, there's a lot of good drivers out there looking and, you know, unfortunately the seats are very limited and unless you bring money, um, then you're going to be on the outside looking in. Yeah. One last thing is uh, we should touch on. I guess there's some uh, rumblings about Porsche on a mid-engine car, sports car. What, what's happening with that? Well, they're testing it down in uh, Sebring right now, and I guess they're ready to go head to head again back in the WEC against Ferrari. Um, and it looks it looks like it's really going to be a, a good effort. Uh, so this would be like a GT car. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, and, you know, I mean, because, you know, Ford came out with the GT, right. and, you know, I mean, and they're all mid, they're all going to mid-engines. I mean, there's rumblings that Corvette is going to be, um, have a uh, mid-engine car. Um, but, unfortunately, their sales are so good, I don't know why they would right. do that. <laughs> so, because it, it just costs a lot of money. I mean, you're looking at tens of millions of dollars. Uh, I mean, probably maybe closer to hundred millions of dollars if you're talking Ferrari to change a car like that to get it in pre- preparation and get it on the track with all the engineering and everything. Yeah, I mean, it is interesting them them going in that direction. But I, I mean, if I'm Porsche, I'm kind of like, yeah, I want to, you know, because it's always like, you know, when when the Porsche guys are, are talking to you know the other guys, they're like, 
there's always the they, they see what Ford did, and mm-hmm. there, there's always that one that you know, like ah, I think we can do that. And there's always that there they they there's always that something trying something new, you know. Right, you're right, and and but Ford's having a lot of you know, I mean, it's still a lot of problems. The only problem that I have right now is the car isn't on the street. Okay. Yeah. I thought this was all supposed to be about production cars. Um, so, you know. I so mean, would this be like a, a, like, so it's not a, like a Porsche RS then or? Yeah, it's going to be an RS. Okay. But, but it's, it's different, different than what's right. out there now. Okay. But none of these, you know, like the Ford isn't a production car yet. Yeah, the that's BMW true. The that they raced in the WeatherTech series is not a production car. And, you know, that's that's the problem. I mean, people that relate to these are going to buy these cars, mm-hmm. and those cars are not available for the streets yet. Yeah. So, you know, they need to really, you know, I mean, if you're going to, because if you look at the Ford GT, it, it looks like a, a, a prototype car. Pretty near, yeah. Well, yeah. I tell you what, Eddie, we're coming up on, uh, on the bottom of the hour here. It's time for a sports slash of course, we got okay. the Badgers uh, in Evanston yeah, with I, Radio Joe. So we certainly appreciate you coming on uh, on the show. You've been listening to the Final Inspection Show brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association on the web at milwcar.com. It's time now for a Sports Flash with Matt Barlow. This is Final Inspection with Steve Zaki, presented by the legendary Great Lakes Dragaway in Union Grove, driven by Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association on 105.7 FM, The Fan. And welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area Napa Auto Care Association on the web at MILW. CAR.com joining us on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. It's my pleasure to welcome John Fitzpatrick to the show, author of a fantastic new book called Fitz, My Life in Motorsports. Welcome to the show, John. Dave, nice to be here. Uh I I love this book. It's certainly uh it for me I'm a, I'm a fan of all all aspects of uh, auto racing, whether it's dirt tracks or road racing or whatnot and I really thought you really brought the flavor, uh, especially racing in the 60s, in this book. And uh, I also thought it was interesting uh, early on, which I didn't know, that early in your early going on, you, you might have been a professional golfer early on. And fortunately, you had an accident or a serious fall that kind of curtailed your golfing uh, career and motorsports beckon. Um, do you think if you would have been able to – to play golf professionally, would you have been involved in motorsports in any way? I, I probably wouldn't, Steve. I mean, uh, golf was my first love, and I played golf when I was at school, and I won some junior championships. And uh, really, my whole life was mapped out to be a golfer. And then suddenly, in quick succession, I managed to break ridiculously both arms, and that put me out for a couple of years. And that just coincided with my 17th birthday, which is the age you can drive in Europe. And uh, my father bought me a Mini Cooper for my 17th birthday. And, uh, you know, that's really got me onto the motorsport thing. Uh, and it just evolved from there. And the book really uh, 
details, you know, how you can start right at the bottom of the uh, sport and gradually work your way up and have some success and enjoy it. And, uh, I mean, I've had a, a fabulous life driving cars, probably as good as, if not better, than if I'd been a golf pro. Uh, you drove minis uh, for Ralph Broad, one of the most iconic figures of uh, British motor racing. And that was a big step for you. Uh, describe how that uh, came about, please. Uh, well, I met Ralph. I met Ralph Broad by chance. I mean, he'd already made a name for himself uh, modifying uh, uh, cars, sedan cars, and uh, I just happened to pull up outside his garage. I didn't know who he was, and in those days, he was mechanicing himself and. He came out and filled my car up with, with fuel and had a look and saw that I'd changed one or two things, uh, told me in no uncertain terms that uh, I'd made a mess of it and it wasn't very good. And if I left the car with him for two or three days, he'd sort it out, and that's what I did. Took the bus home, uh, went back there two or three days later, got, got in the car, and it was like a little bullet on the road. It was incredible. And uh, we, we won quite a lot of races together. And then I was lucky enough to be, uh, I was chosen to drive for the works, the factory Mini Cooper team uh, in the British Championship, and I was second to the great uh, Jimmy Clark. And then I changed over to uh, Ford. Ford gave me a contract, and I won the British Championship in a Ford. And then I went to BMW and then to Porsche, and the last 10 years were basically uh, Porsche for me. That was a pretty dangerous but a very competitive series, as you said, and and. I mean, you, you, you look back and, uh, you, there's a, I think it was Peter Proctor had a very serious accident, which I, I unfortunately, I, I didn't even know about, but it, he became one of the iconic people for automobile safety, wasn't he? Well, he was, uh, in those early days, there wasn't really much thought given to safety. You just jumped in and drove what they gave you. And, and tragically Peter, uh, Peter just had a small touch with another car went end over end and the fuel tank came loose and the fuel just went all over the car, caught fire, and it took him a while to get out and uh, he was really badly burned. But he did survive and after that there was a big movement in Europe and probably in the States as well to go to uh, fireproof overalls, uh, special fuel tanks, uh, uh, rubber fuel tanks which wouldn't uh, uh, explode in a crash and I mean, really, Peter nearly lost his life, but he saved a lot of other guys' lives. You know, the the Mini Cooper is such an iconic car, and it seems like it's even more popular today, especially in the U.S. here. Have you gotten more recognition, you know, like especially from the younger fans and that, uh, about your career and that from the Mini Cooper? Well, yeah, there's, there are a lot of Mini Cooper clubs uh, in the U.K., and uh, I get invited to go along and talk to them. And uh, the Mini Cooper, it's sort of grown a bit. You know, BMW bought the company and brought out a new Mini, which was a little bit bigger. But it, and it appeals to a bigger market. I mean, you see a lot of Mini Coopers on the road now, not just with young guys driving them, but the ladies like it, the older guys mm -hmm. like it, and it's the second car in a lot of families. Mm -hmm. And then most of our listeners remember you running IMSA, Road America, with Derek Bell and, of course, our own David Hobbs. Uh, yep. But it was about this time you met an interesting fellow named Jerry Dominelli. Can you uh, ex explain how, how that uh, meeting came about? Well, I thought you might ask me about him. It's strange. <laughs> I thought you might. Uh, <laughs> well, Jerry was uh, uh, Jerry was uh, uh, 
an investment manager, ran the investment company in San Diego, and uh, he specialized in foreign currency trading. And he was a Porsche fanatic. And uh, when I was living in San Diego, I'd won the Insta Championship. I'd started my own team. Uh, David was driving with me occasionally. Jim Busby was driving with me. And I, I was running out of sponsorship at the end of the year. And I got this call from this guy called Jerry Dominelli. Uh, told me he was a Porsche fan. He'd like to talk to me about getting involved with the, the team. And uh, I went to see him, and uh, he was. He was a real Porsche fan. He sat there with his glasses and his pinstripe suit, and he was probably the last guy you'd ever think was a Porsche fanatic, but he was. And, in fact, he uh, over the two- to three-year period I was involved with him, he bought a lot of Porsches. And, of course, he, he sponsored my team to probably the tune of probably... $2.5, million during that period. Uh, we bought uh, five different cars. Uh, and, of course, at the end of the day, it turns out he was a, a sort of a mini Madoff. And uh, he was basically running a Ponzi scheme out of Southern California. And eventually uh, he ran out of people to, uh, to invest in him. And he ran out of money. He was uh, doing very little trading, spending most of his time on cars and houses or most of his money on cars and houses and uh, I don't know perhaps Madoff read about him and got a few ideas <laughs> it was certainly and we're, we're talking to John Fitzpatrick on the Great Midwest Bank Hotline of course uh, his book Fitz My uh, My Life at the Wheel by John Fitzpatrick it is available at autosportltd.com and I highly recommend uh, this book it certainly a, was a pleasure to read one of the funny stories or interesting stories in there of course, racing was a bit different than it is today, especially in the 1980s. Can you tell us about Paco Romero in that story? Uh, one of your drivers that you had. <laughs> there was that one, and then also the Dudley Wood story is is hilarious. I just thought that was well, interesting. Uh, the, the, the thing with pa the thing with Paco was uh, I was running a third car in Le Mans, and we used to run a third car to try and get some sponsorship from the drivers. So we'd have paid drivers, and this. Uh, Quite short guy turned up in my office at Silverstone one day wanting to drive the car. And uh, uh, I, I forget the exact figures now, but I think a one-off race, they were paying perhaps $50,000, something like that. And uh, he decided, yeah, he wanted to do it. And he, he, he'd done quite a lot of racing because it's very difficult for us to know. So we gave him a test and he did okay. Got to the... Uh, the, the other thing was, though, I couldn't get him insured. You know, that was the problem. Mm -hmm. And he was driving a car which was like a $250,000 car. So I told him that the only way I would run him is uh, for, he, for him to buy the car, and then we'd charge him so much for running it in the races. And uh, he, he, that's what he decided to do. And uh, he said he'd wire me the money, and I went to some strange little bank in London, which I'd never heard of, some sort of... Uh, uh, Central Europe, Central American uh, bank, and drew out this uh, 250 grand plus 50 grand for the race, and they paid me out in cash, which I thought was a little bit strange. But you know, it wasn't difficult at that time to guess exactly where his money was coming from. But to be honest, uh, you know, even in IMSA in the 80s, I mean, I was, you know, when I was driving in IMSA, there was some. Uh, there were some wealthy guys driving. I mean, Ted Field, probably one of the wealthiest guys in the States at the time, he was driving against us, and there were one or two. But there were a lot of drug dealers as well. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, these guys would turn up with a new car almost every week, and 
Then they'd perhaps disappear for three or four weeks and they'd miss a couple of races and then they'd come back again with a nice big shiny transporter and two brand new cars. And uh, it wasn't just one team, it was several. And, you know, quite a, most of them finished up, as you say, in the, in the States, uh, in the big house. Uh, but that's the way it was in those days. And is and is there's a funny story about Dudley Wood. He was a driver who uh, had a stuttering issue. Is that story really true? It's one hundred percent true. In fact, my wife's sitting here while I'm talking to you, and she's <laughs> laughing about it because she 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 was involved. Poor old Dudley in qualifying at Le Mans. Uh, he I wasn't driving then. I was running the team, and he'd come in and he'd explain what was wrong with the car, and he had a stutter, and it was very difficult to get the information out of him. And of course, the more excited he got, the the more he stuttered, and it was quite a difficult situation. And in qualifying down the Multan Strait, he was probably doing 220, 230 miles an hour, something like that. A slow car pulled over on him, uh, forced him off the road. He went end over end down the the road, completely destroyed the car, and he wasn't really too badly hurt. He'd got a little tiny bone in the back of his leg was broken. And uh, they took him off to hospital. And his wife went off to the hospital with my wife, Sandra, to see if he was okay. And they came back. And uh, I said, how's Dudley? Is he okay? He said, well, he's, uh, he said he's broken a small bone in his, his body, but it's absolutely great news. And we said, why? Why is that? She said, he's not stuttering anymore. He's speaking absolutely as clear as a bell. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he, was, he really scared himself. I won't say the word, but you can imagine. Uh, now you, you've driven some of the most iconic race cars in the world, you know, starting with the mini Coopers and then racing these 250 mile an hour, uh, Porsches down to most on straight. Is there any one car, one particular car that sticks out for you? Well, I mean, obviously the best car I drove was that, uh, the 956 of Porsche, uh, Porsche at Le Mans, uh, with David as well. And David will tell you that was a sensational car did everything right. But the most exciting car we had was the car before that, which was called the K4. It's a 935 Porsche, based on the basic body shell of the Porsche, but with massive wings and wheels and tires. And we had nearly 900 horsepower in that car. And that was a real fight to keep on the road. But it was a fabulous, fabulous car. And I think if you ask David, perhaps you already have asked him, but if you ask David which was the most exciting, that would be the one. It's the one that's on the cover of my book. And uh, David and I won a lot of races with that car, and we both loved it, every minute of it. And uh, you've come full circle now, and you're, you're back uh, with your involvement in golf in Spain. And, and, and tell us how that came about. Uh, well, eventually, the problem with running the sports car team as a private team is that it got really, really expensive. And uh, we would be looking for sponsorship, the amount of sponsorship for our a sports car team that would, have, that would get you uh, a sponsorship of a sort of a midfield Formula One car. And the problem was in those days that the only motorsport in Europe that was on television was Formula One. And our sports cars weren't... Uh, uh, there was no coverage at all. So it was really difficult to get sponsorship for it. So uh, at the end of the day, I just uh, closed the doors, sold everything off. Uh, I'd been down to Spain a lot. The weather in England wasn't so good, so we decided to uh, to go and live in Spain. And in fact, we spent uh, many years in Spain. 
uh, at the when I was driving in IMSA, we lived in San Diego in California, of course, which uh, and the climate where we were in Spain, right down in the south by Gibraltar, was very, very similar to uh, San Diego. Well, we certainly appreciate chatting with you, John. It's been a delight. Like I said, I love the book. Uh, name of the book is Fitz, My Life at the Wheel by John Fitzpatrick, available on autosportltd.com. And we also reviewed it at racingnation.com. Uh, and I have the information for listeners if they want to purchase the book from there and also on our Facebook page, uh, The Final Inspection Show. Uh, John, we certainly appreciate you uh, joining us, and uh, it's just a great book, and uh, we certainly appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Steve, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And uh, it is on Amazon as well, by the way. Okay, uh, Amazon.com too. Okay, and that's uh, the – Yeah, once again, it's called Fit. Yeah, Fits My Life at the Wheel by John Fitzpatrick. Thank you, John. Okay. Thanks for coming on the show. Goodbye. Thank you. B- bye-bye. And you were listening to uh, John Fitzpatrick and the Great Midwest Bank Hotline. After 80 years of helping Wisconsin homeowners, Great Midwest Bank knows a thing or two about helping you buy, build, refinance, or renovate. Visit greatmidwestbank.com. They're ready when you are. You're listening to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin, along with our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Apple Auto Care Association on the web at milw.com. When we come back, we'll hear from Johnny Sauter, winner of the truck race last night in Texas. Welcome back to the Final Inspection Show, brought to you by the, uh, who do we got here? The legendary Great Lakes Dragway in Union Grove, Wisconsin. A lot of our friends at the Milwaukee Area and Apple Auto Care Association. We were going to have Johnny Sauter on, but we just ran out of time. It was such a busy show. We'd like to thank uh, Dennis Michelson from racetalkradio.com. We're talking NASCAR with him. And, of course, Timothy Frost, the business of motorsports. And, of course, uh, his uh, Speedway uh, National Speedway Directory uh, book. You need to get that, and you can check the, uh, our Facebook site for that. Uh, make sure you click and say like on the final inspection page. And then, of course, Eddie Lapine from RacingNation.com talking IndyCar and sports car racing with him. And then uh, John Fitzpatrick, My Life at the Wheel, AutosportLimited.com. Make sure you check that out. Thanks for listening to the final inspection show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.